You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. talks about one believes you'd only eat vegetables and not meat. Well, if you believe that, fine, but don't look down on the one who eats meat. Religious days, drinking wine. You read Romans 14. Alcohol, it may be okay for one Christian, it may be not okay for the other. One person's got a problem with it. They come from a drunken background or whatever. You need to stay away from it. But that doesn't mean everybody needs to be a teetotaler. Now, I'm just telling you the Bible, all right? I'm telling you the Bible. Read Romans 14, it's right there. There are some core beliefs that we hold on to in the church. A prime example is that Jesus was God's son, became man, died for our sins, and was resurrected. If someone disagrees with that truth, then they're not truly a member of God's church. But there are many areas in scripture that leave a little bit of gray in. While we should seek to understand how to live a life that glorifies God as much as possible, in today's message, Pastor Danny will remind us to be gracious in matters that don't affect salvation of the soul. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 15, with today's edition of The Living Word. Buckle your Bible seatbelt. Are you awake? I'll ask you again in a minute because we got a lot to read. Verse 21, they preached the gospel, Paul and Barnabas, in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From Adaliah, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there with the disciples a long time. Then you get to chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into, and I circled it, sharp dispute with them and debate. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Well, that really got the meeting going. 
The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, and he said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's talking about when God sent him to the house of Cornelius, the centurion, uncircumcised Gentile, and a bunch of uncircumcised people in his house, Gentiles in his house, and they all get saved. And they get the Holy Spirit, just like the Jewish believers did on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Now we have scriptural evidence to know that James was a significant leader in the church of Jerusalem. We might even call him in our culture the senior pastor, if you will. He spoke up, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written, and now he quotes scripture, that's good. After this, I'll return, rebuild David's fallen tent. I'll rebuild its ruins, restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. You still awake? For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Four things he's suggesting they write about. One is timeless. No matter what section of history, covenant of the Bible you're in, and that's sexual immorality. That's just a moral issue. Sexual sin has always, always will be sin. But the other three, eating food sacrificed to idols, strangled animals, eating their meat, and eating meat with blood means no medium-rare lamb. All those were things tied to the law of Moses. Now, the Jews were used to practicing that because they were used to the law of Moses. Verse 22, hang with me. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter, and here's the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said, that you have to be circumcised to be saved. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas, Silas, to confirm by word of mouth what we're writing. Seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to, and here they go, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, 
and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So the men were sent off, went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together, delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. One more verse. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. That's a lot to read. The letter and the four things they write and it urged the Gentiles to practice. Let me tell you the first interesting thing about these four things. Paul the apostle in his ministry would violate three out of the four repeatedly and lead others to violate them. He'll write in places like 1 Corinthians 10, an idol is nothing, and if you mature, you know that, then you know that you're not worshiping the idol, so there's nothing wrong with eating meat that may have been sacrificed to an idol. He will no doubt sit down at times with Gentiles and eat a medium rare steak or medium, if you don't like medium rare. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 10, if you sit down with somebody and he's talking about in the Gentile world and they offer you something to eat, don't say anything. Don't raise a question for conscience sake. Unless somebody there says, hey, don't you know this is offered and sacrificed to an idol? And then don't eat it for the sake of the other person, that you don't offend them or lead them to stumble. And we're not going to get into that deeply because those are side issues. What's the main point? What's the main issue? It's what do you need to do to be truly saved? And they got the conclusion right. If you add anything else to grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you violated the gospel, you've adulterated the gospel. The gospel is simply repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. It's not by works, it's not by religious tradition, religious acts, it's not by going to church, any of that stuff. They get it right after much discussion and even debate. The conclusion was right. They throw in the other things because sexual immorality, of course, that's a standard. But the other things were things they were used to practicing based on the law of Moses. But Paul doesn't deal with that, even though he would violate three of those things because Paul knows Those are side issues. He's agreeing with the main conclusion. What's the point? Doctrine, teaching, can be divisive. Doctrinal disputes in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, were not uncommon. Let me take you to a couple of scriptures. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you can't find the place and follow along, just listen. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, people that said, well, this is what Paul and those guys believe, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. And Paul will go on there without reading all of it to say, that's not true. The people teaching that, that can't be true because he reminds them the lawless one has to come first. That's prophetic. That's prophesied. We know him as the Antichrist. He hasn't shown up. And so the day of the Lord can't have come because the Antichrist hasn't shown up yet. You get to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, right in the opening chapter. Paul says to Timothy, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer in order to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, etc. These promote controversy, not love. 
and unity. You get to 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, and we're in those later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You know what one of the things is? That you're to abstain from certain kinds of food. We've had to deal with a teaching like that here a few years ago called Hallelujah Acres. There's an area down in Sarasota where you can go, you got cancer or something like that, you can go and they claim, and I don't doubt, that they have people healed through their diet. But their doctrine is not biblical because they teach that God never intended man to eat meat. And when we started to eat meat back after the flood, that's when all the cancer and the sickness and everything else started. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus declared all foods clean. Enjoy the steak, however you like it cooked. Thought I'd get a little more excitement on that one. (laughs) Then you get to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth, the Bible. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Now, we're not gonna get into all those things. The point is simply this. Doctrine can divide and sometimes doctrine should divide because there's some essentials that we need to debate and even fight over in a good way. The purity of the gospel message. I will debate and stand my ground until I see Jesus face to face. That you are not to add anything else to the gospel or you don't have the gospel. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace are you saved through faith, period. You don't have to be baptized. You should be baptized. You don't have to do anything else except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, period. But there are things... We shouldn't divide over. I think a Calvinist and an Arminianist should be able to worship in the same local church. You say, I don't even know what an Arminianist and a Calvinist is. You're so blessed. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you if you don't know. You don't need to know. I think if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, you say, I don't know what those things are either. Bless you. You ought to be able to have unity and you ought to be able to agree to disagree and don't be legalistic about it. Then there are issues in Romans 14, not going to turn there. I'll tell you what some of them are. I call them disputable matters. Some believe in one particular diet religiously. Talks about one believes you can only eat vegetables and not meat. Well, if you believe that, fine, but don't look down on the one who eats meat. Religious days, drinking wine. You read Romans 14. Alcohol, it may be okay for one Christian, it may be not okay for the other. One person's got a problem with it. They come from a drunken background or whatever. You need to stay away from it. But that doesn't mean everybody needs to be a teetotaler. Now, I'm just telling you the Bible, all right? I'm telling you the Bible. Read Romans 14. It's right there. Dwight L. Moody was a great preacher in the past. He lived at the time of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, another great Baptist preacher. They became friends and enemies almost at the same time. D.L. Moody ribbed Spurgeon because Spurgeon smoked cigars. Spurgeon countered at Moody because He questioned Moody's eating habits because Moody was a fairly large man. Luther, Martin Luther, the Reformation. Martin Luther used to sit in the pubs and drink beer and talk theology with people. That's a fact of history. 
The point is simply this. There are some things that are essentials. There are some things that might be right for one and wrong for the other, but what God wants is decide what's essential and go to the death, defending that truth because it's essential. And there are other things that are not essentials and they again may be right for one and wrong for the other. And don't divide over those things and don't fight over those things because otherwise you miss what God wants us to have and that's unity and that's love and that's peace. Hey, let me just simply say Hebrews 13, nine, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. We've had to deal with some around here. I'm not gonna get into them. Titus three, avoid foolish controversies. And genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person who just wants to fight over the things, the non-essentials. Warn them. Then warn them a second time. After that, don't have anything to do with them. You don't want to hang around with a person like that. I'm not going to hang around with a person like that. I'm sticking with the things that are clear and essential. Now, I have an opinion. It's based on my experience. And here it is. Doctrinal disputes are easier to settle than the dispute that comes next in our text, and we haven't read it yet. Doctrinal disputes are easier to settle because if you're a real student of the word, you let the leadership of the church, as we've done here on many occasions, we had to deal with the teaching of Henry a few years ago, and all of our elders examined the teaching, and we, from scripture, pointed out all the errors in his teaching. We came to that conclusion, but it was from scripture. But watch what happens next in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We don't have a lot more to read, just a few more. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. Pause. I go back to verse 2, chapter 15, when we began. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate. And now Paul and Barnabas are having a sharp disagreement. Such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Some commentators say this was the will of God for Paul and Barnabas to split up because it doubled their missionary efforts. I just think that's crazy. I think this is a division and a parting of company that was not the will of God and it should not have happened. How could this disagreement, this dispute have been settled? Very simply, as we have seen initially, Barnabas is the leader of the ministry team of Barnabas and Saul, which later became Paul and Barnabas. And I think scripture bears evidence that Paul became the leader. He certainly became the chief speaker. We know that from verses we read in the last couple of weeks. This disagreement, what's unique about it versus a doctrinal disagreement, is neither one of them could turn to a scripture and say, no, here's the reason we need not to take John Mark. No, here's the reason we should take John Mark. And at this point, beginning in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit does not follow the ministry of Barnabas. We have no more record of Barnabas in his ministry. But he does follow the ministry of Paul. And we have at the end of chapter 15, that statement, verse 40, commended by the believers to the grace of God. Here you have the church putting their stamp of approval and the Holy Spirit as well. Barnabas should have submitted. Paul will later reinstate John Mark. We know that. 
But at this point, Paul says, no, not time yet. He deserted us, not coming. And they have such a sharp disagreement that they part company. I've said for years, and I still believe it, ministry and even church, it's like a marriage. How many of you, whether you're married or not, you have at some point in life, maybe even very recently, have such a sharp disagreement, dispute with someone, and you are so convinced you are right and they are wrong. Come on, help me out. Let me see your hands. Everybody else just chooses not to raise their hand or you're a liar. How many of you just raised your hand or married? Look at that. I think that's a majority. If you look at the relationship between Paul and Barnabas as a marriage and understand the principle behind it, they're now separated. They're headed for divorce. And it didn't have to happen. And it should not have happened. I don't want to insult your intelligence. A dispute is a disagreement, an argument, or a debate. You know how different we are? Let's just start with the male and female. You talk about different. One foolish husband said to his wife, Honey, you stick to the washing, ironing, cooking, and cleaning. No wife of mine is going to work. You talk about a skewed perspective. You let him take over the things for a week or so. A fellow was once thinking of how sailors referred to ships as she and her. He often wondered, and he was thinking about this, and he thought, what gender computers might be addressed as? So he set up two groups of computer experts, the first comprised of women, the second of men. Each group was asked to recommend whether computers should be referred to in the feminine gender or the masculine gender. They were asked to give four reasons for their recommendation. The group of women reported that computers should be referred to in the masculine gender because, and when I've taught, mentioned these things before, I usually just say them, but I put them on the PowerPoint for you. Masculine, why? Number one, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. (laughs) Two, they have a lot of data, but are still clueless. (laughs) Three, they're supposed to help solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. (laughs) And I love number four. As soon as you commit to one, you realize if you'd have waited a little longer, you could have had a better model. (laughs) The men concluded computers should be referred to in the feminine gender, and they give their four reasons. Number one, no one but the creator understands their internal logic. Number two, the native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. Number three, Even your smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later retrieval. I know that one's true. And then number four, as soon as you commit to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. (laughs) Now, since my wife is in London with my daughter, let me tell you some things about my wife that I don't understand. I don't understand why she loves pillows so much. I lived with one pillow on my bed for years. I got married, we'd had 18. That had no purpose. No purpose except to look at, put on the bed in the morning and take off at night to get back in the bed. Thank God she's compromised, we're down to eight. And that doesn't include the two we sleep on. Men generally, I'm speaking generally here, are made to conquer, conquer, conquer. That's why, that's why on, a, on a trip with the family, we want quick stops. And sometimes we, we want the kids, just take, here, here's a bottle. You don't need to potty, potty right there. We got to get there. 
My wife takes no pride in not asking for directions when we're lost. Thank God for my new phone. I finally learned how to work it. There's a lady that lives on my phone. She tells me where to go. And she's 99 times out of 100 right. She's taking me across Canada. She took me around Baltimore this last few days. She just tells me where to go. And I'm like, man, other than my wife, this is a wonderful woman. We're so thankful to be able to share this time with you today on The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've been learning some historical things from the book of Acts, a New Testament book that records the early church and how the disciples spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit that we get to not only read about, but experience today. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or other messages like it from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us in prayer here at The Living Word. Prayer is an incredibly powerful tool that you can use against the enemy, who doesn't play fair. Being in conversation with the Lord is an exercise that's extremely rewarding as you find yourself more and more in a relationship with God. As far as a specific prayer request, please pray that we'd always have it on the forefront of our minds to be teaching the Word and reaching the world. As you pray about this, we pray too that your heart is encouraged and growing in the Word through these teachings. Thanks for praying, and thanks for being a part of this ministry. Join us again next time to dive deeper into the book of Acts right here on The Living Word.